Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach. Always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Oh yeah. Do you want to change that about yourself? Now that is a very important question. But as important as that question is, the real work is are you willing to do what it takes to get healthy? Hey there, I am Carol Jurgensen-Sheets, a.k.a. Carol the Coach. And, you know, I cannot emphasize that initially when you do the work, it's hard. It is. There's no doubt about it. It feels foreign. You know, you may not want to go to your meetings or you may not want to do the reading or you may not want to go to your therapist. And you wonder, do I really have to work this hard to beat my addiction? Excuse me. Or as a partner, do I really want to work this hard to deal with somebody who did this to me? Why should I have to work this hard? Well, tonight we're going to be talking about partners. And oftentimes they get misdiagnosed as borderline personality disorder. And I have to say, with pride, that I have never diagnosed women with borderline personality disorders unless they really convinced me that they had this drama and trauma, Um, in part because just like attention deficit disorder, just like um, bipolar depression, I felt people, therapists, clinicians, doctors, and psychologists all misdiagnosed this condition. You know, if 
if you had some drama in your life and you were having trouble dealing with it, it was so easy to say, well, she's got borderline personality disorder. And I really felt like it was not only overly diagnosed, but it was a simple write-off that allowed the therapist, the doctor, the psychologist to just not have to work, to get to the pain, to get to the trauma, to get to the drama within the person. So tonight I am really excited. I'm excited because I'm going to be interviewing somebody who specializes in borderline personality disorder. Sheena Tubbs is a a marriage and family therapist out of Texas, and she had contributed some things to a listserv that I was on, and I really liked what she had to say. So tonight she's going to be talking about what is BPD, borderline personality disorder, and is there a difference between that and somebody who's been traumatized or somebody who's highly sensitive And how does borderline personality disorder present itself in the life of a sex addict or a partner? And what place does love addiction have in this? And then she's going to be talking about dialectical behavior therapy, and that's DBT. And more than likely, I have not talked to her about this, but Marshall Linehan wrote the book on DBT and really helps men and women to utilize formulas that keeps them away from some of their emotional field and more into their intellectual field. She's going to talk about, you know, what tools do you need if you suffer from this and how did you get this way? So I'm real excited to be interviewing her because we've never done a show on borderline personality disorder. And yet, again, so many of my clients get misdiagnosed with that because I don't experience them as such. You know, one of the ways that I, one of the criteria that I use to deal with borderline personality disorder is somebody in my office. If I have a woman or a man that comes into my office and they just think I am the newest, the greatest, the latest, the best therapist in the world, I'm immediately careful. And I watch for them to come back because when you have borderline personality disorder, oftentimes you idolize somebody and then you find a reason to totally discredit them. And the next thing you know, the client is walking out of the office, she's telling you you suck, she's telling you you're the worst, and then just about the time you think, well, there goes my client, I guess I probably should cancel my next appointment with her. She comes back and she's apologetic, or he comes back and he's apologetic, and and starts to sing your praises again. It's a come-here-go-away scenario that keeps you from attaching too much to this person. But really what the issue is, it keeps them from attaching to you. And that's one of the main criteria. I mean, I wait and see how somebody shows up in my office and what they do. And when they start to praise me and, you know, in other words, sing my praises, I go, whoa, 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 whoa. 
you know, I put in a lot of hours to know the specialty, but I'm not going to be perfect, and I'm going to disappoint you, so please don't put me on that pedestal. I don't deserve it. And I, I work it down, and they can see that, oh, yeah, she's human too, and she probably is going to make some mistakes, as I do, all the time. Well, maybe not all the time, but enough makes me human, and it makes me, I hope, approachable. One of the things that I know about my listeners is that they can tell that I really care about them. I really care about you. I don't care if you're the addict. I don't care if you're the partner. I don't care if you're a clinician. I just want you to get something out of this show. I want that so badly that a colleague and I are going to start a show specifically and only on partner trauma. And partner issues. I don't know when I'm going to get to this, but I promise you that I will do it within the next 30 days. And so we're going to have two shows on Blog Talk Radio, and I um, am going to be working with Sherry Kepner, and she's a Ph.D. She's written some books. Uh, we hung out last week together at a board meeting for APSATS, the Partner Sensitive Trauma Model, and they've been really wanting a show. And, you know, I said to myself, I want to do it. So I'll keep you posted on that. You know, so much of what we do on this show is talking about partner issues. And um, I'm just glad that I can put together two shows, and I can't wait to do it. So if I've got clinicians on the line right now, and I know that I do, I get a lot of emails from you. I want to tell you that if you want to become more partner sensitive, we have a face-to-face APSATS training. And again, APSATS stands for the American, um, the Association of Partner Trauma Specialists. We're going to be we're going to be training in Cincinnati, November first through the fourth. And I want you to go to that website. That is APSATS dot org or dot com. And um, look for the trainings available. I'm actually going to be doing some of the training with our president, Barbara Steffens. And this will train you so that you're more partner uh, specialized, you're more partner sensitive. And then if you decide to get the supervision and get the 30 extra supervisory hours, hey, you can be a specialist just like me. I don't think I could do it if I weren't CSAT trained, certified sexual addiction therapist, and partner trauma trained. Because I am very rarely working with a partner who doesn't go into some sort of trauma. This kind of event creates drama and trauma, and I am so fortunate that I've got the tools, the skills, and the expertise to help my couples work through this. I'm all about the coupleship. I want you to get healthy as a couple. So whether you're a sex addict or a partner, I'm in your corner and I want to help. You know, I was talking with um, a client today and he was really having difficulty because he was holding a secret from his wife. And he had 
gotten on the web, looked at some provocative images, and he wasn't sharing that with his wife, even though he had an agreement that he needed to do that. So the issue went above and beyond the fact that he looked at the images. The issue was that he was holding a secret. He was keeping it from his partner. He had promised his wife that he would share that information within 12 hours of viewing the provocative images or pornography or acting out on any level. And it had been weeks. And although he felt guilty, he was rationalizing that it was going to hurt her. And he didn't want to keep hurting her. He said, it's like I keep ripping the scab off and I... It's my own weakness. Why do I have to keep ripping the scab off? And I said, you know what? There's two reasons. One is you made her a promise, and you have betrayed her in so many ways, but if you want to rebuild, you have to be honest. The second thing is, if you want to, if you want to renegotiate your contract with her, let's do it together. Let's talk to her. Let's see if we can get her to agree that you tell your sponsor or you tell me. I don't think one size fits all. I believe that you have to obviously do what you agree to do in your coupleship. But I also think that if you're not going to be honest, the last thing you want to do is project that and then not do it. And so I'm all about renegotiating if you need to, to make that happen. And I know that can be tough because then you feel like you've let him or her down. But I'd rather you be honest and not meet his or her expectations than lie, betray his or her trust, and of course keep the secret inside which feeds the addiction. It's just bad all the way around. And so as your specialist and also as a person that believes that honesty is at the core of building trust, I'm going to help you figure out a way to make it work to the best of your ability, the best um, of the partner's needs. And, of course, that's going to work real well in therapy because there's no doubt that I really want you to be true to yourself first and foremost. And if you're holding a lie, a secret, you may think it's no big deal. You may minimize the importance. You may justify why you're holding it. But honesty is at the core of your work within yourself and within the coupleship. And connection is the antidote for sexual addiction. And you can't really connect if you're holding secrets. And so the good news is you told your therapist, a.k.a. me, and the harder situation is how do you hold sacred the truth and the contract you have with your loved ones? And I get people all the time that say, whoa, I feel so sorry for single people because they don't have anybody to be accountable to. 
And you're right. If you're single, this illness is a lot tougher for you because you can only be true to yourself. But I promise you we can transfer some of that stuff onto whatever it is that you need to do to be honest with your fellowship, uh-huh, with your sponsor, yep, and with the people that are helping you with your recovery. That is the most important thing imaginable, is that you are honest with the people in your recovery. So, I want to ask you, have you been holding secrets? That is the most important thing you can ask yourself. And if so, what can you do to practice getting honest? You know, that is so important for your own sense of self-esteem. And what I know to be true is when you are honest and it's difficult, it will make a world of difference in your sense of self and your life. And so, of course, I'm going to have you be honest. As difficult as it may be, it is absolutely the right thing to do. And you know that to be true. You can't possibly get to recovery if you're not honest. And that's why, again, I so appreciate you taking the risk to be honest, to be open, and to make your life better. And trusting me that I know what you need to do that. So, I ask you about secrets because what I really, really believe is that Honesty is at the core of everything you do. And, you know, sex addicts, they have a lot of different secrets. And so let's just work in therapy on making that, making yourself transparent, authentic, and and, um, honest. And you will see miracles happen in your life. Now, again, I am so excited because I have Sheena Tubbs on the line, and she's going to be educating us about borderline personality disorder. And, Sheena, welcome to the Sex Help with Carol the Coach show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Yes, I was telling my listening audience that oftentimes partners of sex addicts get get diagnosed with borderline personality disorder because they're in so much drama and so much trauma when they discover what what the sex addict has been through that they Mm -hmm. decompensate. And that is so tough. And I know that you really understand 
both that definition, that diagnosis, and also how that plays out with sex addicts and partners alike. So I want to just start by asking you, how would you describe the definition of borderline personality disorder? Um, so good question, and I like how how you're um, showing the correlation between what happens with partners and sex addicts. And so borderline personality disorder is um, a disorder that's marked by instability of moods and behavior. It impacts your functioning. Um, you may tend to make more impulsive decisions and actions and have a, um, a pattern of unstable relationships. Um, and so it can last. Um, the anxiety and anger and depression can last for a few hours to a few days, um, but it's pretty persistent. And um, what makes it different, and I don't know if this would be a, a question later on, but what makes it different from partners of sex addicts is, is, is confusing the complex trauma that happens. Um, you know, it's, it's similar to where one minute you feel depressed and then one minute you feel angry, and then one minute you feel um, like you've accepted what's going on, and then you go right back. Um, but it it doesn't impact um, it doesn't impact your relationships. It doesn't make you to where um, you can't control your emotions to where you may lose your job and may want to harm yourself. Um, and BPD is a lot more serious in that in that manner. Absolutely, and so you talked about complex post-traumatic stress, and then we know that anxiety is at the uh, foundation of that, and then we've got post-traumatic stress, and we've got complex post-traumatic stress. So would you do me a favor and differentiate between all three of those disorders? Okay. Um, So BPD, like I said, is... um, um, it's, it's chronic. And so with BPD, it doesn't necessarily start with, well, most people who have BPD have a history of trauma, so I don't want to misspeak and say that. Um, but it's something that um, biologically it might be affected by your, um, by your, um, I'm losing my, my, my train of thought, but you might need some medical intervention based on your your moods and inability to be stabilized. Um, uh-huh. And for complex trauma, that's where you have a series of different traumas throughout your lifetime. And so they, t- they typically build up on top of each other. So it could be childhood neglect, and it could be abuse, and it could be a serious event that happens in your life, um, and they tend to integrate and affect your functioning in that way. And PTSD is um, just just as serious, but usually it's just one or two big traumatic events versus a series of ongoing chronic traumas. Yeah, and that's what I understand to be. You know, when you have anxiety, you obviously have heart palpitations or sweating, ruminating thoughts, um, nervousness, tremors. And when you have post-traumatic stress disorder, you've had um, maybe one or two very serious traumas that have occurred 
that make you hypervigilant and you you look around for them to happen again and you never really feel safe. And then uh-huh. complex post-traumatic stress is obviously a whole series of things. Maybe you were molested as a child, maybe more than even once, and maybe you went to college and there was a rape involved or somebody that was intrusive that um, absolutely did not make you feel safe. And then all of a sudden you're with a sex addict and you don't know that, and then all, and then you find out he or she betrayed you too. So you're mm-hmm. right. All three of those things are under the umbrella of anxiety, and then borderline personality disorder oftentimes starts with those same traumas. So I was telling my listening audience that with borderline personality disorder, sometimes there's a come here, go away aspect. There's a, I want to trust you, I don't dare trust you. So mm-hmm. what do clients look like that have come to your office that are diagnosed with borderline personality disorder? Um, they look like that fear of abandonment or rejection, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. looks like the come close, go away. Um, I want you to be present for me, but then I can't trust you with what's happening in my life. They tend to be pretty hypervigilant, and sometimes um, what I most often see is that um, they give either partners or coworkers or loved ones um, tests to to kind of validate their own um, kind of anxiety about whether or not that they the person in their life can be a trustworthy person. Um, as far as, did she ask me about mood as well or just about how it looks like in relationships? Well, I love the mood thing, but also in relationships. What, how do they typically react? Knowing that everybody's different, there's never one stereotype, but. Sure. What do you see? Yes. Yeah, so like I said, that um, difficulty trusting others and wanting them to be present. Um, I see a lot of intense very intense relationships and so you are intensely in love with that person and then you may also intensely hate them at the same time um so a lot of uh roller coaster relationships that occur um and also as a result of that um they they tend to present as really lonely at the same time it's hard to find people who understand them um they may have a lot of burned bridges because um, others don't understand their moods. Um, and then also if they do have someone who is attempting to be and be emotionally available for them, it's too scary. It's too scary to be vulnerable um, because you don't know what's going to happen on the other end. So um, they tend to either subconsciously or consciously push those those people away. Well, that's a great description. And obviously... You've made it your specialty to work with people that have had these kind of traumas and have these kind of behaviors. Do you think there's a difference between borderline personality disorder and, let's say, a highly sensitive person? Yes, I do. Um, Because highly sensitive people, uh, they have an acute awareness of their emotions and the emotions of other people. And because of that, they might tend to be um, slightly more reactive to um, emotional and environmental triggers the same way that someone with BPD does. 
Um, but the difference is is kind of the depth that a person may go who has BPD is not something that happens with a highly sensitive person. It can happen. And so when I mean the depths, I think I mean the self-destructive behaviors. So if someone um, presents with BPD, one of the first things that we do in treatment uh, when I'm using dialectical behavior therapy is do something called the house of DDT. And so in the house, you build upon layers to figure out what your goals are going to be. And when when you're struggling with or when you're diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, typically you have a lot of life-threatening behaviors, whether it be suicidal ideations or other dangerous activities. And so we have to target that first. And so with a highly sensitive person, like I said, that may be there, um, but it's not chronic and pervasive in their life in the same way it is with a, um, someone who has borderline personality disorder. That makes total sense. And so i got to ask you, Sheena, what, what made you go into this realm? Because obviously when somebody truly has borderline personality disorder, they may have trouble trusting the therapist. And so you have mm-hmm. to have a lot of extra patience and you have to have the skills to know how to deal with that come here, go away. So what made you go into this? Yeah, that's a great question. I love talking about it because I love talking about the people I work with. Um, so I first went into this realm because I was working in a residential treatment center that focused on co-occurring disorders and addictions. And so I just saw how... So many people would come in needing that validation, which is really, you know, at the at the core of a lot of this, wanting to feel seen and um, feel valued and be heard and understood. And so um, this is a population that I felt and still feel um, kind of gets overlooked um, and might get pushed to the side um, and might even get a, a an unfair label that they are too much. And what's really ironic is that's the same thing that they've been told their their whole life. You know, I'm too much, and so no one wants me. I'm unlovable. I'm a burden. And so to help to help my clients, to help people with BPD get to a place where they can love themselves, see themselves, and accept themselves, and be fully present and whole in the world, um, and to see that transformation happen, um, you know, I, I love it, and I feel honored to be a part of it. So that's how I got there. So you have um, a special place in your heart for people to get that are misunderstood and and maybe even villainized a little bit. I mean, there are so many people that are uncomfortable working with this population because they have been so traumatized they're not particularly easy to work with. You've got to have those special skills. And as a matter of fact, you have a lot of DBT mm-hmm. training. And so tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about what is DBT? Yeah, so DBT stands for Dialectical Behavior Therapy, and it's a treatment model that combines mindfulness, cognitive behavioral therapy, and um, some other some other social models that um, build interpersonal effectiveness skills. And so, um, like I said, the way that 
DBT works is, you know, if you have borderline, which is a mood disorder, so you're kind of thrown all over the place, and as much as you try to regulate your emotions and think positively, it feels impossible. And so one of the benefits of DBT is that it's highly structured, and so um, there's different tiers and tasks that you have to go through as you're also learning skills at the same time. And so the first thing is that you focus on or getting your life under control to where you can function and also, you know, do therapy. So if I'm coming in and I really want to talk about what's going on with my dad, I just had a fight with my dad, but I am um, doing drugs to cope, then the priority of the session is to talk about the drug use because I can't really solve the problems with my, with my dad if I'm doing a behavior that's threatening my life. Um, and then we talk about things that get in the way of therapy. And so like we talked about at the beginning, there's kind of that push-pull uh, dynamic that happens, and that still happens in therapy as well, even if you're working to build trust. And so um, we call it therapy interfering behavior. So what are the ways that you might self-sabotage yourself from getting better? So does that look like you show up late to session or you forget session or um, you try to um, say that I've personally wounded or harmed you? And so we talk about that. What does that look like? Um, And talk about how do we stay focused on what's actually going on and make goals to not get in the way of our progress. And then from there, we talk about um, um, kind of the socio-emotional things that are happening and develop goals. And what's really great about DBT is um, if you're doing it um, in this actual form is you're doing an individual session, so doing a group therapy at the same time. And so, you know, anyone who's been in therapy can tell you that, that 45 to 50 minutes tends to go really quickly. And so you have the individual session and then the group session. You focus on different skills where you learn how to tolerate the stress. Um, There's another set of skills where you learn how to regulate your emotions. There's another set of skills where you learn how to have healthier relationships and advocate for yourself. And then there's another set of skills where you learn mindfulness and how to be present in the moment and how to not live in that anxiety that we that we talked about at the beginning, um, where you're worried about the past, or worried about the pre- the future, and you're not in the present. So uh, it's a really holistic model that I I really love. Well, I bet because you know so many partners of sex addicts are dysregulated. You know they they got the discovery information, their whole life has fallen apart. They've they feel like they've lived in illusion. They don't know who to trust. They go into hypervigilance. They want to check everybody and everything to see what's safe and what isn't. And what I really love is that DBT can help people to learn how to self-regulate and understand uh-huh. themselves a little more. Uh-huh. Um, so DBT can be helpful for anybody, but Marshall Linehan was the creator of DBT. So do you use her workbook? Oh, yes. I use her uh-huh. workbook and several other workbooks of people who study with her as well. Very good. Okay, so mm-hmm. now obviously we've been talking about 
who might look like they have these issues and what they might do. And you just kind of broke your group into the four areas um, that you can learn about to help regulate the emotions and help you put into perspective what you're dealing with in the moment. You oftentimes talk about BPD might be present in the life of a sex addict, not the partner, but the sex addict. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's it's really interesting when, when that happens because a lot of times that might get swept under depending on who, what therapist you're going to, that might be swept under just the the umbrella of borderline personality disorder and it might um, lose the focus that it needs and deserves. And so with sex addiction, um, you know, your your life gets interrupted because you're trying to self-medicate and um, heal traumas by um, – by sexual activity um, in whatever form. And so in, 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 in therapy, it will look like targeting it as a, as a life-threatening behavior, depending on the severity. Um, and then as you go through recovery, then it, it changes from becoming a life-threatening behavior if you're not putting yourself in dangerous situations anymore to what's going on with you socially, emotionally, with others, um, what kind of partners, are you choosing or not choosing? Are you isolating? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you living in an anorexic sense of um, state or are you living in an indulgent state? Um, it becomes a little bit more balanced and less of the focus, but still integrated throughout your time. Okay, and so you have a specialty with sex addiction, so tell us what your specialty is. I specialize specifically, or most of my clients are present with sex and love addiction. Um, so those who um, use sex to get um, this this fantasy relationship, or um, you know, heal traumatic wounds by the relationship that they're that they're in. And so most of my clients, and it's not all, but most of my clients are females. Um, but I also have some males as well. And that makes total sense. So I know I was looking at your website, and, I mean, obviously you have a special affinity for, you know, people who, again, have had addictions or who have been traumatized by people that have addictions. And it's really it's really great to see that you would – uh, really work with these people because, you know, so oftentimes for those who have experienced out-of-control sexual behaviors, there is a fear of going to a therapist for, uh, you know, for fear that they won't understand. And you get that. I mean, your specialties are survivors of abuse and trauma, survivors mm-hmm. of love addiction, survivors of sex and porn addiction, and then, again, the emotionally sensitive. So mm-hmm. I'm really impressed with the fact that you're using the 30-task model. Are you getting your certified sexual addiction training? I am. I am a candidate, and I am loving it. It's definitely helped, you know, if, like I said, I started out working in a residential treatment center, and that is honestly where I learned about 
sex addiction. I, before working there those years ago, I had the same knowledge or I had the same thought that a lot of people in the public have about sex addiction, which is it's not real or it's, it's an excuse or it's a cop-out. And so um, once I learned and saw how devastating it can be um, and also how common it is, um, I obviously really wanted to learn more. But I can just say how much um, my work with my clients have improved and become more enriched um, since I've started the, the training um, and gotten more knowledge on how to help help my help my people <laughs> with um, yeah, help your people. I get that. <laughs> so, how many modules have you completed in the CSAP program? I've completed one. Oh, very good. So you've really been doing this work for a long time, and now you're getting the actual certification. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time coming up. I talked about it for years. I was like, I really want to go. And then people are like, well, then go. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Sheena, I'm going to want you to do that partner trauma training later on, too, because I'm telling you that is amazing, too. It's a trauma-based, partner-sensitive trauma program. So I'll just be looking for you to do that once you complete and you make up some of the money you've lost. Because, you know, what I tell people, I'm both a partner trauma specialist and a CSAT, and I say this is, you know, to get my CSAT was about 10,000 hours and about $10,000. It's not Mm -hmm. uh, an easy certification to get, and yet it is so rewarding, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I definitely think it's worth it. Um, I've enjoyed every minute and I feel like it's been the best investment um, for sure. And let me just ask you this because obviously on your website it talks about love addiction too. Now describe for our listeners what your definition is of love addiction. Um, My definition of love addiction is someone who seeks outside relationships um, for personal affirmation. And that's definitely not necessary with um, what different websites and blogs would write, but um, that's what I that's what I see in my practice. And so, um, looking for partners to validate that you're good enough, or you're whole, or you're worthy, and to get that validation, you're willing to settle and sacrifice and um, put yourself in dangerous situations in the same way that you may for for sex addiction, um, just to be with that partner. Um, and the partners always, <laughs> I was about to say usually, but always um, emotionally unavailable, which is why um, they're, they're in this situation. Oh, absolutely, 100%. And, again, love addiction differs from sexual addiction because it's – the drug of choice is love, and the client may use sex to ascertain the love, but they will put themselves in dangerous situations, and it's, it is that craving and urge similar to sex addiction. Would you not agree? Oh, very much agree. Absolutely. All right. In so fact, I feel you, like, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, sometimes you feel like, How do you see them as being similar but different? Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to go. (laughs) 
Um, I was about to say how I feel like all three are different. So not just sex addiction, not just love addiction, but sex and love addiction is kind of the um, the hybrid of the two. So, um, yeah, with sex, all three being it's the drug of choice. So with sex, um, using that to self-medicate and so using it to distract yourself, using it to self-soothe, using it to numb out, and it's the same same function with love addiction. So using a relationship with someone else to self-soothe when you don't um, feel happy or feel pretty or if you're scared financially. So you look for a partner or someone to save you. Um, and if I'm with this with this person, then everything will get better. And so with going back to sex addiction, you know, if I, if I get one more hit, if I get uh, one more um, experience, then maybe that'll make me feel better until it gets to the place where it's no longer enjoyable. Um, and that's the same way with love addiction. So you're doing all these things and you're with this person and it's no longer enjoyable. Um, it becomes emotionally draining. And so with sex and love addiction, it's, um, it's a combination of the two. It's you're using sex to get love. With um, love addicts, um, sex doesn't necessarily have to be there. Sometimes it's just fantasy. Um, and so you're um, you're imagining a relationship, um, whether it's real or or not real, um, but you don't use sex as a mechanism necessarily to get to get the love you're looking for. Well, and that is such an important characteristic because oftentimes there is that fantasy that creates an illusion that is not actually factual. Um, mm-hmm. I know that I've talked with love addicts who said, you know, Carol, when I thought he was with somebody else, I would stand in the rain for hours and wait for him to come home so that I could either catch him with somebody or talk mm-hmm. to him and get him to love me. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. like being a coke addict and, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting for your dealer to come by and you're sitting mm-hmm. in a car in an alley just waiting for that fix. Mhm. Absolutely. So yeah, I've. Mhm. So, what are the treatment goals that you believe take precedent when you're working with an addict, whether that's a sex addict, whether that's a love addict, or a partner who has borderline personality disorder? Mhm. Um, I think the first one is to differentiate um, differentiate how their relationship patterns, um, what's the difference between their, their mood disorder and what's the difference between just unhealthy interpersonal effectiveness skills, um, and then also identify um, what kind of life they want. And, and in DBT, we call it their best life worth living or their life worth living. Um, because I think with especially BPD um, relationships, is, it can be such the focus um, that it all seems like it's normal or it all seems like it's kind of jumbled up together. And so um, to be able to differentiate, this is what this is, and so this is what we're going to do for that. So this is your trauma response. And so these are the skills we're going to use for that. And this is really... Um, you know, you were triggered because something that happened earlier, and so the fight with your boyfriend wasn't really about them. It was about something that happened before, and so we do a chain analysis, 
and build skills there. And then, you know, then if it's about recovery and it's about, um, you know, your self-soothing, then we look at other ways for you to build top-line behaviors to manage that. Um, I think with BPD clarity, um, it's really important um, to separate facts from feelings is really important. That's actually one of the skills that um, that those who do DBT learn, which is called check the facts, um, and learning how to be mindful about what's real, which is another um, skill um, under mindfulness. Okay, so those are some important treatments. And for anybody who's listening to the show, you know, what would you tell them if they think they might have borderline personality and they want to get the proper treatment, how should they proceed? I think that they should look for a therapist who either specializes in BPD or has language around serving highly sensitive persons because you really need someone, like you said before, who has the patience to work with you and work with what you need and um, will um, provide a non-judgmental, warm space because if you've already um, had years of trauma, indirect or um, direct, where you might have been rejected or abandoned, you don't want to feel that way in your session with your counselor. So my suggestion would find someone who's safe and who's competent to help you with it. Um, and also, it's okay to have a conversation with them beforehand and see if you feel comfortable with them. Ask some questions about, about what therapy will look like. Tell them what your goals are um, and see if, they, if they're able to give you some hope in, in, in those first few moments. Uh, because the, the thing with BPD and the thing with DBT is it's a long-term therapy as well. Um, you, uh, I would want to share with listeners that it's not a treatment that you can come in and come out of. It really takes a commitment because you're unlearning, you're unlearning a lifelong set of behaviors, and then also you're doing really hard work with um, a condition that um, is chronic. And so um, it's going to take a lot of persistence. So because you're committing to something that um, can be longer term than just a few months, you want to make sure you're with someone who um, you feel you're connected to and who can understand what you're going through. Well, those, that is really, really good advice. And so it's kind of like you're telling the client, trust your gut, you know, mm-hmm. pay attention to whether your therapist is borderline personality disorder educated, whether they make you feel comfortable, um, mm-hmm. and and if you're not feeling comfortable, then do some more research and get in with somebody that does. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And if I could speak to people who are currently in treatment, and maybe I said something that you're like, well, I don't really feel comfortable with this person, and they have said something that's made me feel invalidated, my advice to you would not be to find a different therapist. It would actually be to go back and talk to him or her about that um, because mm-hmm. if they've been helping you all this time, chances are that um, that this it might be a miscommunication, or this could just be a good 
good opportunity for you to advocate for yourself and say what you need. And this is another way for you to check the facts. You know, when he or she said or did what they did, was it intentional? And if it was intentional or hurtful and there's no way to repair it, then maybe you do need to find a safe um, a safe place to be. But if it was um, a mistake and you're able to repair, wow. I mean, isn't that a great lesson for what what you want in your life. You know, you want to be able to have conflicts with people and it doesn't mean the end of your relationship, but actually that you're stronger and trust is restored or that it even grows. And if you can do that with your in a therapeutic room with your counselor, then, you know, the sky's the limit outside of there as well. Oh, I absolutely, I 100% agree. So now give everybody the name of your website, and how they can get a hold of you if they'd like to consult with you. Yes. So my website is sheenasthetherapist.com, and Sheena is spelled with one E, S-H-E-N-A. And um, you can also find me on Instagram at sheenasthetherapist, same spelling, and on Facebook, sheenasthetherapist as well. And also, I um, I recently started a podcast as well, and it's called Love Junkie, and um, it's for the sex and love addict population. And um, I'm having a great time. And our last episode talked about trauma informed yoga, and so I really my goal is to provide people with practical tips that they can they can use. And so hopefully, that could be a resource for them as well. Okay, so now let's talk about that one more time. I always promote other podcasts because there's such great ways of getting information. So, yeah. okay, the actual name of the podcast is The Love Junkie? No, just Love Junkie. Love Junkie. And give us an idea of what you can expect when you tune into your show. Yes, so the the episodes focus on either talking about love and sex addiction, um, tools to help you work through recovery, um, which is, for example, what the uh, trauma-informed yoga was about, um, or to feature guests who um, have a history of sex and love addiction, and they're now in recovery and is a source of hope. And so in the coming weeks, I actually have an interview with someone who um, – who's in recovery, and I'm really excited about it um, for her to share her story, especially because she's a female sex addict, which, you know, is something that, you know, when sex addict does get information or get airtime, usually they focus on males and not females. And so um, I'm really excited to have her on. Oh, absolutely. And is that, how do they get to your podcast? My podcast is on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And then also on the website, you can download the episode on the website as well. And I love that. It sounds like you are really working hard in, in spreading the word and making life better for love, sex, and uh, love and sex addicts as well as partners. And Thank you so much for talking about borderline personality disorder and kind of clearing up the differences in how it manifests itself. 
And I wish you continued success and keep me posted of other projects that you're going to be doing in the future. Thank you so much, Carol. Will do. All right. You take care, and we will talk soon. You too. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so again, that was Sheena Tubbs, and she has made it her mission to educate people about love addiction, sex addiction, partner trauma, and borderline personality. And uh, so you can you can reach her, obviously, by contacting her at www.sheena, S-H-E-N-A, thetherapist.com. And also you can listen to her podcast, Love Junkie, on iTunes, Google Play, and oh, I know she told me it's that other podcast, Stitcher. That's what it is. All right. Well, thanks for listening in, and I so appreciate you. And I want you to make it a good week. Stay in good recovery, no matter whether you're a love addict, a sex addict, or a partner. And don't forget to tune in to my YouTube channel, Sex Help with Carol the Coach, where I have videos, 8 to 10 minute videos for sex addicts and partners. And then if you need certification, if you're a clinician, come join us in Cincinnati. Go to APSATS.com, A-P-S-A-T-S, so that you can get signed up for our training in November, November 1st through the 4th. Okay, we'll talk to you real soon. And as I say at the end of every show, you know, there will only be one of you at all times. So fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. Make it a great week, and I'll see you next time.